Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S. Providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Café Vermilionville in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Professor of Finance and Director of the award-winning Birken Road Reports, Peter Raschuti. It's business, Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. When we talk about manufacturing in the United States, it's usually in the context of how many big-ticket items like cars are no longer made in middle America. Louisiana is practically never mentioned in discussions about manufacturing, but there's a surprisingly active manufacturing community here in Acadiana. A lot of it is based on making products large and small for the oil field, but despite what you might think, over the last 20 years, while the manufacturing base in the rest of the country has shrunk, in our part of the world it continues to grow. We've featured companies as diverse as Stuller Incorporated and Begno Manufacturing on this show. Today I want to introduce you to two members of the next generation of Louisiana manufacturers. Jacques de Gaulle is the founder of a company called Idea Zoo. Idea Zoo specializes in combining 3D printing and laser cutting to produce a range of products primarily made out of plastic or wood. If you're not exactly sure what 3D printing is, stick around for just a minute and Jacques will explain. Jacques, welcome down to lunch. Hi. Grayson Carroll is a jeweler at Artisan Jewelers in Lafayette. Grayson grew up in the jewelry business. His father, Sam, is a co-owner of Artisan. And although Grayson spent years working in the ski fields of Colorado and the oil fields in Acadiana, since 2010, he's been designing and making jewelry back here in Lafayette. Grayson, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Now, Jacques, I'll start with you. When, when a new industry starts up, it often defines itself in terms of where it came from. For example, cars were originally called horseless carriages. Drones started out as being called unmanned aircraft. And now we have 3D printing, which is not really printing at all. It's a its technical name is additive manufacturing, which better describes how a machine that looks like a desktop printer makes objects by building them one layer at a time from a blueprint on a computer. When we first started hearing about 3D printing, it was described as a new industrial revolution that would see all of us having our own personal machine at home to make everything from nuts and bolts to flip-flops. The machines are now pretty affordable, uh, under $500, but the domestic industrial revolution just hasn't happened. Uh, 3D printing still seems to be the province of technically skilled professionals like you. What's the status of the 3D printing revolution today? Is the 3D printer ever going to be a, a real consumer product? Um, I think it may be. Um, I think the largest problem with that really being a, um, a consumer product is that people don't have the skills to make the 3D objects on the computer yet. Um, you know, CAD software is still more or less largely inaccessible to the population. It's, um, there are some Is newer, it too expensive or too hard to um, learn? Or? It's a combination of the two. The easier softwares, um, well, the really powerful software tends to be very expensive. There are some cheap and free alternatives out there um, that are pretty easy to use but they're still not quite as flexible and you don't have the power to really create something truly interesting and beautiful um, as easily. Um, there are plenty of people that are designing and creating things um, with this you know, free software off the internet and that is pretty amazing. So I think that that part of the revolution is actually happening, it's just not as widespread um, yet because people don't aren't designing things in, in their homes yet. Now, when, when our producer and, and myself went to a fair 
I guess about five years ago, we saw 3D printing for the, kind of for the first time, what it could create, and we were, we just couldn't stop talking about it. Was it the same thing for you when you saw this? Yes, the first time I saw it, um, I was actually, well, was on the internet. I read about it and I said, oh, this is something I have to be involved in. I had been working with, um, with laser machines and other types of uh, computer-controlled machinery already, so I already knew that how that aspect of it worked. But I saw the 3D printer online, I saw a kit to build one yourself, um, you know, whenever I was in college, wow. and I said, I have to build one. So I started um, collecting parts, and you know, I got a main kit that had some of the software and um, electronic like components. MacGyver or something, you just yes, found Yes, and then the rest of the parts you buy from the hardware store, you <laughs> bolt it together, um, you know, ask around, digging people with junk piles for stuff, and eventually you can cobble together something that makes something. And that was my first machine, you know, it kind of, uh, it was messy, it worked more like, um, you know, dowsing hot glue onto a plate of a, <laughs> onto a glass plate, but it came out, you know, I saw things that I was drawing on the computer materializing in front of me and I was hooked. Well, give me an example of what you're, what you're making now or, or um, how diverse it is. Uh, I mean, we make a whole range of things. I make um, some bicycle parts I have running on the machines right now um, that I put on right before I left. Um, we make architectural models. Um, I have a building, um, actually a model of an entire section of New York right now that we're working on for um, another client just printing. Um, it's about 1,800 buildings, I think, total that wow. we're um, printing at a you know, very small scale, so it ends up being a seven-foot-long model by the end of it. Um, and what would something like that be used for? Um, that one is a part of a, um, it's a site model for a larger architectural product um, project. So they are putting in buildings in a block and they want to see what it's going to look like in the in the um, you know on site in New York, so they want to see how all the other buildings around it look and how the um, how the shadows are going to affect it and Whoa. all of that kind of stuff. And they can do most of the stuff on the computer as well, but it's nice having a physical model to show off at you know um, oh sure you know, a meeting or exactly. something like that. It's, um, I was working with popsicle sticks. This seems to be a lot better. It really does. They, yeah. <laughs> now, Grayson, we call you a jewelry manufacturer, but you're really an artist. You're making pieces of fine art, mostly out of silver. Uh, unlike other visual artists where the artist's creation is hung on a wall or put on a pedestal, your works of art are worn on the body. Uh, our definition or perception of an object changes the value we put on it. For example, in furniture, the difference between being old and antique, or in food, the difference between being covered in bugs and organic. Do you think handcrafted jewelry like yours is appreciated as art and fairly valued uh, in markets such as uh, here in Acadiana? Oh, for sure. Uh, Everything I've done is a reflection of this area, uh, from tree at Lake Martin to the ever so common fleur de lis. Um, and is that where you get your inspiration, just I, by walking around? Walking around, um, sticking your head in a log, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, or a hollowed out log, that is. But yes, um, just uh, everything from nature in this area and the outdoors. So. And where did you learn to be a, a silversmith? I mean, it's, it seems to me, would that be an apprentice kind of position, or? Oh, I'm technically not a silversmith. I'm, I'm truly a jeweler. Okay. Um, I work with all metals and media. Uh, I, but I grew up with my, fa my father's uh, supervision and, and teaching, so. And he was in the business too? Yes, he's oh. been a jeweler since 1972. Now you're teammates. Teammates, <laughs> side by side, yes. Now Jacques, on your side, uh, people must come up, to, once they figure out kind of what 3D printing can do. Do people just come up with you to you with odd ideas of things I mean, they'd like to make? That is um, a huge part of my business, is people coming in with um, you know, their great idea. <laughs> and uh, 
I really enjoy helping people bring that into the physical world. Um, that is, you know, more or less what our purpose is. Um, uh, you know, you can hear it in the name Idea Zoo that we, uh, <laughs> we, like, you, we like your ideas and we like them to be kind of crazy. And do you ever, I guess, if you had people come to you and you thought that either we can't do that or we need to rethink this a little bit? Uh, that happens regularly. Um, a lot of times people have not um, thought through their product in a way that, um, uh, that can really bring it to market in any kind of appreciable fashion. Um, you know, my training as an industrial designer helped to um, you know, recognize these kinds of faults in the um, product development cycle and I can help people direct them in the right direction. Grayson, um, the, the clientele you have, is it, uh, first of all, do you do it, is it all retail or do you have like online sales or? Um, all retail storefront, nothing online as of yet. Um, maybe that's something you think about? Or? That'll, that'll expand in the future. A lot of times, you know, different quality and the perception of color with gemstones um, off a screen, it you know, may vary between the actual product and actual daylight hitting it. So there are some pluses and minuses from you know, internet, but um, your, your local trust, whether your jeweler is probably the best way to go. <laughs> And of course, we had Matt Stuller on the show, and we didn't realize it, but with the Jewelry Center here. Yes, uh, I worked for Uncle Matt for some time. Uh, you did? My father was also at, uh, at Stuller for 20, Whoa. 25 plus years. When you're making these, are you making multiples of each piece, or are they all one-offs? Uh, I generally make multiples, uh, but custom one-offs uh, are usually just between me and a client. Um, I was going to say, same kind of conversation we just had with Jacques. Somebody comes in and they've got something drawn on a napkin and... Exactly. And, uh, a napkin or, hey, I have three pictures that I found in a magazine. Can we incorporate this element from one piece, you know, this stone from another piece, and so on. And once again, probably like Jacques, you're like, I'm going to... The way you presented it to me, it probably won't work, but I have put the pixie dust on it and it's going to... For sure. Yeah, yeah, there's always uh, different paths in in accomplishing, you know, getting the different elements together. And I always try and put my twist on it. Um, uh, a lot of the people I've done work for are my friends, and I know a little bit about their background. So I'll try to incorporate a little something special in there for for just them. Oh, that's that's pretty terrific. Now you. Uh, you both are manufacturers, and you both, I would assume, in the beginning of this conversation, didn't come with a real business background before you got into this, but you've had to learn it, I guess. Yes, that's been a difficult process, really. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, what kind of things did you have to pick up to get more comfortable here? <clears throat> um, I think the, well, one of the things that was biggest was learning how all the, the tax uh, codes and the system, you know, how that works. Right. Um, that was a mess for the first couple of years trying to figure all that out. <laughs> <laughs> Making sure we pay everybody uh, that we're supposed to. Right, so you're not in the prison rodeo. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually learning that right now. So, um, the, I'll hit the ground running, <laughs> you know, very, very soon. And... Uh, Maybe I'll ask you some questions after lunch. That, that'll be good. <laughs> That's one of the nicest things about the show. People become friends afterwards, so we, uh, we appreciate Yeah, I'm that. already... I'm definitely going to go talk to him afterwards and talk to him about my 3D printer that I've been playing with. Oh, right. Months, so yes, there we go. Now, 3D printing for jewelry, what goes on there? Oh, it's the same thing that Jacques does. It's You, you have software that you build a, a, a model in 
in that cyberspace and then transport it to a three-dimensional object that you can hold. But from what I do is the special resin that's used goes into uh, plaster of Paris and then a lost oh. wax uh, process and then uh, casting. So from that resin of the 3D printed image, I can actually get a gold ring directly from that. Oh. And then from there, uh, you're stone setting and polishing and it becomes a finished piece. So I'm taking his what he's doing one step further and actually making a model from it, but even the bike parts that you do would probably be manufactured into that. Right. You know, well, some of the bike parts we do are plastic pieces that okay. are used as plastic, so we print them. Um, oh, right. print a few hundred of them a month. Um, but it's a harder resin too, right? Is. Yes. So you end up having to know a lot about materials. What, what about the average, the guy that's really got that 3D printer for himself? Uh, uh, what kind of person is it, and um, what are they making? What, what do you do? What do people do at home here? I mean, it seems to me that um, uh, most people buy 3D printers um, to support some other hobby. That seems to be a big part of it. Is uh, you know, if you're into flying drones, for example, right. those guys uh, seem to be, seem to be picking up pretty big on 3D printing. Um, you know, new frames and new uh, all kinds of parts for those. Um, and I see this with a lot of other stuff. People making um, people who are into gaming and build mo you know models of their game characters and all that kind of stuff. That seems to be um, a big market right now. People who are into dressing in costumes um, and then building costume pieces. No, that's um, that's big stuff. We print for other people often for that, but I know that a lot of those same guys also have their own printers at home um, to make stuff. Well, how do these people, um, I know they're doing it at home, but how do the customers, how do they find you? Um, what is marketing in this kind of business? Uh, my marketing is primarily through Google. Um, a lot of the people that are looking for us are looking for very specific services, um, so they, you know, shop around and they, fi they find us. As an example, would I punch in 3D Printing Lafayette and... Yes, you can search 3D Printing Lafayette and we'll come up right at the, right at the top there. You're listening to Out to Lunch. My guests are Grace and Carol, jeweler from Artisan Jewelers Lafayette and the founder of Lafayette's Idea Zoo, Jacques Dugal. Jacques, who do you guys look to for competition? In other words, is there a, is it coming from all ends or is there, a, is there a big player in your business or what do you think? There are um, some large uh, like national service bureaus that offer 3D printing as a service, um, and I, I do compete with them. I also work with a couple of those larger companies as, um, as a service provider as well, so that um, you know, we kind of work together, which is helpful for my business. Um, there are some smaller companies um, in town, you know, with all the guys, people with 3D printers in their houses and garages and everything, there's also a competition there cause, because it's easy to list this stuff online as a service. Um, you know, it's the, the barrier for entry is fairly low. Um, so I try and differentiate myself by having um, you know, more services available, um, you know, larger machines. I was going to say, you um, have the more expensive machines, I uh, imagine, huh? Uh, yes, uh, larger machines. I also have um, laser cutting services, which go hand in hand with 3D printing for a lot of uh, digital fabrication work. You know, if, you can, if you have the whole thing designed on the computer, we can laser cut parts, we can 3D print parts, we can assemble them together. Um, so that's a large part of uh, the difference there. Now, Jacques Grayson, it's time for the part of the show we call your brother-in-law. You're heading home after a day of work, looking forward to having a couple of swamp pops when your phone rings. It's your brother-in-law. Now, normally he only calls when he wants to borrow your pressure washer, but this time things are a little different. Jacques, your brother-in-law says he's got a great idea for a partnership with you. He's calling it Business in Case. And here's how it works. A person sends in a photo of a tattoo that's on their body. You print it out as a customized design on a cell phone case. Your brother-in-law will get an app built and handle everything. All you have to do is 
3D print the image on the cell phone cases and put up five grand for starting capital. Are you in? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, certainly technologically that wouldn't be difficult for yes, you. Yes, that sounds very doable. Um, you know, I've had people call with ideas like this before that just have you know, <laughs> something right up, they're just ready to go and I'm into it. Wow, it's, you like a challenge. Yes, I do. <laughs> God. I'm trying to think why we would use this is to so that if your uh, iPhone got, got lost, they could match it to the, the person with that tattoo. No, potentially. <laughs> yes, this is a great, great security vehicle. This is terrific. <laughs> now, Grayson, your brother-in-law has a great idea. He's going to get you a huge amount of free marketing. He's going to do it by getting famous actresses and female celebrities to wear your jewelry. Here's how he's going to do it. He's going to move to Los Angeles for a year and spend every day and night networking, giving away your jewelry to rich and famous women. All you have to do is cover his rent in L.A., and he'll handle everything else. What do you tell him? Oh, sounds great, but I don't know about covering his rent for a year. <laughs> uh, expensive town. <laughs> that is an expensive town. And that also kind of sounds like the, um, the whole musician factor of, like, oh, no, play here for free because you, you get exposure, but exposure doesn't pay your own rent. So <laughs> I, I would have to say no. Okay. But if he was already friends with some of these people, then, then maybe a, a hard maybe. Hard maybe. And then you've also got, um, you know, your jewelry is not only beautiful, but it's, it's kind of regional, a lot of it. So A lot of it is regional. You uh, would have to learn to make surfboards or something, so it would look kind of L.A.-ish, I guess. Uh, I have a friend and a 3D printer, so yeah, I'm sure we could, uh, <laughs> we could collaborate and, and do something like that for sure. God, I have so much more confidence in the local economy now. This is, uh, now, I have to ask each of you, because it has been such a long and d deep downturn, are, are either of you experiencing, um, uh, you know, a slowdown from the uh, because of what's happened in the oil field? <clears throat> there has been a slowdown in that specific type of work um, at my shop, but that's also opened up a different uh, avenue of work, which is people coming in with different ideas. I think that right now, with the oil field being so slow, a lot of people are looking for new uh, for new projects and you know putting their skills in in other directions, and that's actually been pretty good for me. Um, which has been very fun because you have guys who have been working in the oil field for you know, most of their lives looking to do something new and different, and they come to me with their new and different idea, and we try and figure it out. And uh, yeah, coming up with a business. And of course, these people, are, that's one thing, whenever we talk about Lafayette, these are people are have excellent technical skills. You know, it's not, um, yeah, there's a... Grayson, what about yourself? Are people holding off on buying jewelry? Or? Uh, the purchasing has slowed down quite a bit, but uh, as far as repairs, um, everybody breaks something and jewelry is not indestructible as some people <laughs> think it is but uh there there's always repair work um in that aspect uh as far as the oil field you know it slowed down a little bit but it really slowed down after the flooding um in mid-august oh. uh, it's been a heck of a year yeah uh you know most of the town south of lafayette hit really hard in youngsville so, and all towards there yeah correct and uh but everybody I think is gearing up towards Christmas and most of the people that, or even our clients that have had flooding, their houses are just about being finished up and tidied up. And uh, I think the holiday season should be pretty good. And what do you think, uh, I have to ask you this on 3D printing, five years from now, is it going to be everywhere or is the use of it going to change? What do you think? Um, I'm not sure. I think that um, small scale manufacturing companies uh, like myself 
are embracing it as a way to uh, manufacture custom products on a smaller, uh, for smaller runs, which is kind of a new type of um, a new type of business. People are not trying to develop a, necessarily a product for the entire world. Sometimes they're trying to develop one for you know their town or for people who have the, the exact same set of interests to them, which may be you know twenty people, maybe a hundred, yep. it may be just them. Um, but either way, it's um, it's uh, you know manufacturing for just a few, and that is something that has not been possible with um, mass manufacturing the way it is now. With with your three D printing, uh, you know, we talked about how you could get one at home for, you know, maybe five hundred dollars. The the kind you use, uh, the more industrial such. I mean, what do the prices go up to on that set? Oh, the <laughs> I mean, they go up to millions of dollars. I don't have anything like that. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, you know, dozens of thousands of dollars. I guess is, uh, <laughs> you never hear that expression. More my range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the ones in the that are being used in the jewelry field. Um, Range anywhere from probably about five to about fifty thousand, oh. uh, and obviously you get different options and uh, and the, the different materials that are being used. Uh, I hopefully I know in the next couple of years that the price will come down on these printers that actually print in metal. Mm -hmm. And I know there are a few people that are actually working in printing in precious metals, which probably still about ten years out, but. It will <clears> happen. You'll, instead of having to cast it, it'll right. be just from the computer to a, a finished piece. Right. I know they have machines that are available that print directly into titanium right now, which are Whoa. just amazing machines. Um, you know, that's that upper end of the price range I was talking about. Yeah. Um, I have a machine that I can print um, a plastic mixed with um, with bronze that we're then able to bake, um, well, to bake out the plastic filler, and it centers the. Uh, the bronze together into a smaller, you know, it shrinks and becomes a slightly stronger part. Not as strong as a cast or forged piece, but it's um, it's you know, comparable at least. Yeah, it's interesting. Great. Great. So, what do you do in terms of uh, a lot of the metals you work with uh, go up and down in price significantly? Uh, how do you handle that? Uh, you adjust your prices as, okay, they, so you as can, they fall up and down, uh, but <laughs> generally they'll stay about the same year round unless there's a a hard spike, but uh, typically. So you're uh, not out hedging gold or anything. No, like that. okay. No, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't change. You don't change the pieces daily as the price changes because that's usually only fluctu fluctuates a few dollars here and there. But you know, if oil either goes up or goes down, you know, a, a few dollars or ten dollars a barrel, then gold and platinum will jump at yeah. the same time. So you just kind of keep an eye on that and and just play it by ear. And you know, I look at the, your pieces and it seems to me, and then when you mentioned earlier in the show, that there's sort of a story behind each piece. Uh, how do you, I think it would, that would be part of the sales pitch in a way, isn't it? Correct. Uh, there should be a little story behind everything. Uh, you know, whether, you know, it was made from someone's grandma's ring, uh, you know, or a bunch of rings that they had brought in and that makes it a little bit more personal. Um, even so is that something when they come to, this, come to the store, you kind of tell them that? Yeah, that's, that's usually like a one-off custom yep. piece, you know, and then the piece itself will become a story, you know, for their children and grandchildren and what have you, so. The official stick your head inside a hollow log Correct. piece that would be <laughs> Yep. That's, that was a famous saying by my grandfather. <laughs> really, <laughs> really? Well, I'm going to start to use it more. <laughs> they, uh, I do have to ask both of you, I, what you're doing, it seems, for people that shuffle papers for a living, it seems so great because you're actually making something, but 
I would take there's a fair amount of uh, stress involved in what you do. I mean, you have to do it just right. <clears throat> For sure, yes. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and you're dealing with, uh, you know, if you do something wrong, I mean, You've got some losses in that particular. Absolutely, period. and um, and now that you know how to account for them, it gets even sadder, right? Yeah. <laughs> <that, they>, uh, <laughs> what are all these parentheses in here? You know, there's. Uh, <clears throat> all that. Yeah, you you don't want to do any damage to Grandma's diamond for sure. Oh yeah, then you get into uh, that side. Yeah, uh, I'll knock on wood on that. But, uh, I've been very lucky that nothing really major has happened in in that aspect. But as far as like casting, you know, someone's gold. Uh, and if the cast doesn't come out, because there are a lot of factors of why it, it wouldn't um, actually produce, uh, you could recover the gold, refine it, and then reuse oh, it. That's so true. that's that's a a good you know a good mm -hmm. thing on on my field. So <laughs> yeah, that is nice. I mean, I do have the reprint function, which is also pretty good yeah. for myself. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, those resins are expensive, but they're not super expensive. Right. In the, <laughs> When politicians and economists talk about bolstering the manufacturing base in the United States, they're not typically talking about the ancient art of silversmithing or the 21st century science of 3D printing, but Jacques and Grayson, as we've learned today, both these strands of manufacturing are alive and well here in Acadiana. It's been great to meet both of you and learn about what you're doing. We look forward to keeping up with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and out to lunch. Thanks thank for you having for having us. us. <laughs> yeah, and thank you for lunch. <laughs> yes, <laughs> That's right, it was delicious. a great lunch. <laughs> <laughs> My guests and out to lunch today have been Jacques Degal. He's the founder of Idea Zoo, and jeweler Grayson Carroll from Artisan Jewelers. You can find out more about Jacques' ideas and Grayson's jewelry by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette. Cafe V is open weekdays for lunch and dinner six nights a week with a courtyard that sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And Christian is our researcher. Our theme song, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. If you want to know what we look like, and I know you do, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Gwen O'Quint. You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to visit our websites. It's acadiana.com and krvs.org. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook Nicolese Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette has a free shuttle service within a three-mile radius, including the airport and downtown restaurants. Additional support comes from ABiz Magazine and AcadianaBusiness.com, the essential information source for business decision makers throughout the One Acadiana region. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table here at Cafe Vermilionville. For more business, Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S. Providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. Thank you.